This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Arthur Phillips' journey to HCL Technologies has been unique. There were stops along the way at companies such as Microsoft, Oracle, IBM, and HP before finally landing at HCL, where he serves as their Executive Vice President of Sales Transformation and Marketing. But what does sales transformation mean, and how is it linked to marketing? Arthur explains it all on this episode of Marketing Trends. Plus, he discusses how HCL works with the Fortune 500 and Global 2000, why it is important to understand how to build relationships throughout the customer journey, and why the tech industry is behind in one key area. Enjoy this discussion. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we have special guest, Arthur. What's going on? Hey, how are you, Ian? Good to be with you today. Yeah, good to be with you as well. We're going to be talking about your career in marketing. We're going to talk about what you're doing at HCL. So let's get into it. First, how did you get started in marketing in the first place? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I've been in the industry now 28 years. It goes back to kind of the formative time for me. Um, When I graduated from Boston University, I had some amazing opportunities ranging from, you know, joining what used to be uh, Anderson Consulting to Solomon Brothers on Wall Street to, uh, believe it or not, uh, made it through a number of uh, rounds and was close to an offer to work with the CIA uh, in Eastern Europe. And uh, close to home in, in, at Boston University was Digital Equipment Corporation. And I had a great chance to join a very well-rounded management and marketing program. And uh, it just, everything about the program, the opportunity about marketing uh, jumped to my training and to my heart. And uh, it, the rest has been history. So for listeners who don't know, tell us a little bit about HCL. Sure. HCL is a, uh, uh, one of the leading technology uh, services companies, uh, both engineering and IT and business services, uh, and most recently, products and platforms uh, uh, on a global basis. Uh, the company was founded 43 years ago in India. Today, it is a truly global company. Uh, we span over 45 countries. Um, we have over 150,000 employees uh, around the world, 144 nationalities represented, uh, represented. And we serve a majority of the Fortune 500 and Global 2000 uh, customers, you know, leaders across roughly 10 or 12 of the most important industries around the world, uh, you know, really as a mission critical uh, long-term partner to them. And so tell me a little bit about your role, because um, you have a different role than kind of the traditional, uh, the traditional marketer might have uh, with sales transformation also in your title. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I joined the company almost five years ago. And the first two years I came on board to help the company as the global head of sales transformation in rethinking the overall go-to-market approach. Um, how we went to market, who went to market, how we served our customers, 
how we segmented them, whether we looked at you know, long-standing, deep client relationships, uh, all the way through to how we worked with prospective new clients. And uh, that was an incredible journey and continues to be so today uh, in terms of rethinking uh, both our uh, selling approach as well as our portfolio of what we bring to market. Along the way, working very closely with our CEO, um, and right around the time I joined, he became CEO, uh, and the two of us, along with uh, a really strong and diverse leadership team, um, you know, launched a um, big growth plan for the company. And just to kind of give you some uh, some metrics, when I joined the company, we were about 5.7 billion in revenue, uh, about 95,000 employees. Today, we're you know, over 10 billion in revenue and 150,000 employees in five short years. Uh, so uh, through a combination of organic and inorganic growth, um, you know, we really set out to uh, uh, go on an ambitious plan and serve our customers well, and it's been paying off in the marketplace. Um, and so that sales transformation background, uh, you know, a couple of years into uh, working with the CEO on that, um, he asked me to take on the overall marketing responsibility as well. And it really is the yin and yang coming together. Um, if you think about it in sales, you know, you're working very much uh, on a frontline basis with, uh, within the marketplace, within customers uh, and different stakeholders, you know, 24 by seven. And from a marketing perspective, you're doing the same, your horizon, your line of sight, uh, some of the approaches that you take are quite different. Uh, you're thinking about market development. You're thinking about uh, the short, mid, and long term and how to balance and bring all of that together. And so uh, it's been a tremendous journey over this past five years. Uh, my responsibilities today from a marketing perspective include all of our, uh, our digital approach around the world, our digital properties and technologies, our corporate marketing, our field marketing, uh, sales enablement, uh, analytics and content. Um, from sales transformation, I, I have the dual responsibility of our CRM environment as well, uh, and our marketing technology platforms, uh, our corporate brand, our internal and external communications. And then in our company, um, our leaders often play you know, broad roles. So I also um, am very heavily involved uh, from a cultural and diversity perspective in terms of how we um, continue to grow people and grow our presence around the world. Very heavily involved in government advocacy and our government affairs uh, portion of the business. That's within my remit. Uh, and then there are some interesting areas as well. Um, we have uh, lobbying efforts around the world. We work with governments um, to put the industry's point of view uh, square in front of their domain. So we look at things like uh, immigration issues and challenges, education, um, you know, not only uh, STEM, but how do we get more people involved in the technology industry in general, university relationships and recruiting, and of course, there's always the, the backside protection, you know, things like crisis management and, um, and brand protection. So it's a pretty broad remit um, and a great group of people make it come together every day around the world.
Yeah, I was going to say, what don't you do? Uh, <laughs> um, that's a lot of stuff. But I think it speaks to like the modern marketer that depending on the organization, how many different things, um, you know, you could do, you know, just the idea of like how we communicate with people externally and internally, if those two things are marketing, um, like, boy, that's a lot of responsibilities. Oh, there's no doubt, you know, and, and it's interesting because um, there's certainly, you know, marketing is always been as a profession, one of the most broadly defined terms. And, you know, even as I meet up with peers at, at different uh, industry events or talk to people around the world, and, and even uh, from our own customer base, I'll, I'll typically spend time with sales chiefs and marketing chiefs. Um, no one person has the same exact set of responsibilities. I think um, in many ways, the role of marketing in particular becomes a certain glue and a certain organic structure within a company. Um, so the responsibilities can be different. Um, they're very, it's rarely, you know, a, a point in time where somebody has the same exact uh, responsibilities from co company to company, but no doubt it is, um, you know, a critical component to making the machine run of any company in any industry. Well, we talk a lot on this show about the idea of sales marketing alignment. And, and I think, you know, a lot of times it's, it tends to be kind of buzzwordy, especially like in the vendor space, because you have so many, um, vendors that bring sales and marketing together, like on, on the same kind of sheet of music. But part of the problem always has been the fact that like sales kind of doesn't necessarily care about being on the same sheet of music. They just want, uh, you know, either the leads or the accounts nourished or, or, or whatever it is. Um, and marketing is kind of always fighting to, to do that. Um, and so what we've seen kind of with this, you know, with the CMO reporting to the CRO in a lot of cases is, um, rather than the CEO, you kind of have this dynamic where it's like, you know, marketing literally works for sales. Um, I'm curious, like, how do you see that dynamic of, you know, marketing being their customer, quote unquote, is actually the salesperson? Because it seems like a lot of the best CMOs are figuring out that if they can serve, you know, sales in the best way possible, and that's, that's truly, you know, part of their customer, then they can, you know, operationalize and, and get on the same sheet of music a lot easier than kind of like the other way around, which is just like, hey, let's bring everything to the table. Yeah, I, listen, you bring up a, a really interesting point, And it's often the um, one of the hardest things, not only for CMOs and, and sales leaders to figure out the balance of that relationship, but, you know, as you go up and down the organization um, from client partners and account representatives uh, to their marketing counterparts um, at all levels of the organization, right? Figuring out the right balance and how um, the pie gets divided up and how each helps each other out um, is probably one of the most important things of a modern marketer or seller today. Um, you know, there's, there's always kind of been, you know, I've seen in different companies where bureaucracy or big systems will dictate the relationship of how sales and marketing work together. And I think, you know, one of the things I really value within HCL is that um, leaders tend to, you know, there's structure, there's balance, but there's also a lot of action. And there's a lot of, you know, rather than do things by uh, proclamation or email, there's a lot of, uh, let's pick up the phone and let's have agreement and let's go do it 
for the sake of the marketplace and for the sake of our customer. And so I think a lot of that culture and attitude uh, helps foster a strong sales and marketing relationship, um, at least in our company, and it's been very successful. Um, you know, there's no doubt that each role, whether sales or marketing, has its, uh, its own requirements and its own metrics, but they're so intertwined with each other that it's almost impossible to, um, you know, it, it's unhealthy not to make it a strong relationship. And, you know, one of the things I've talked to a lot of sales and marketing leaders about is the importance of um, being able to empathize and see both sides of the coin and to find, you know, this positive common ground that is working towards the same goal. And usually the goals are the same, right? Grow revenue, grow brand. Um, it doesn't get any more simple than that. And really both have that responsibility, both marketing leaders and sales leaders. Um, you know, one, each will come at it from a different science and art, but they ultimately have the same objective in mind. And if you can achieve that level of trust between leadership, uh, everything will flow through the organization as well. I'm curious, how did your first 90 days taking over marketing go? Like what were the things that you wanted to prioritize um, and make sure that you knocked out of the park? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, it's, it's uh, I'm thinking back to that time. It's a great question. Um, first thing I'll tell you is I was um, uh, the first 90 minutes when I found out that this was happening, um, <laughs> I couldn't contain myself uh, because what I saw, particularly, you know, on the sales side of the house, and again, there are a lot of great uh, peers that I have that lead businesses that have, um, you know, big sales teams. Um, I, I became kind of the central point, the, um, the unifier of the overall system for the company. Um, you know, the, uh, the translator, the unifier, uh, the governance, um, you know, the direction setter. Uh, but it was very obvious to me that in marketing, there were some tremendous, tremendous capabilities that we had an opportunity to get even closer to the field, closer to um, certain markets and customers, um, and that the opportunity to really have both uh, teams working together very closely in building new ecosystems was our holy grail. And so... That first 90 days for me, um, you know, and, and members of my team will remember this well, we got people together in conference rooms. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time, you know, just first trying to introduce myself and, um, you know, beyond the corporate profile and the resume and the LinkedIn profile, um, just sharing a little bit about what makes me tick and my background and, and also find out the same from each of the leaders. And that was uh, an eye-opening experience. It gave me a real good exposure. And I think it gave a lot of people exposure to each other um, that maybe working in different geographies or different parts of the you know, marketing team they hadn't realized before. Breaking silos and having everybody work together as one team was one of the first things that I set out to do. Because um, even in marketing, there's so many different responsibilities. Um, and while everybody's in the profession, in the organization, on the same page, you know, if you're um, working, you know, on a particular industry set of marketing initiatives, um, you know, your relationship, for example, with the brand team or the digital team might be very formal 
um, and you don't get to spend time with the team itself and get to know them. You know, so there was a lot of, you know, silo busting and team building uh, that took place. The second thing I'll tell you is I had a list both from my observations as well as other sales leaders. Um, and then I, I gathered different challenges that the marketing team itself had brought to my attention. And that list was probably, you know, four or 500 points long of whether it was challenges or operating things we could do different or new opportunities to explore, places to go invest. It was such a big list. And what I found after a while was, you know, there were a couple key themes, probably three or four um, that we wanted to go all work on together. And we began this transformation. Um, we've been working, you know, the last two and a half years on this transformation. And there's no doubt there's been probably one of the closest relationships in the 43 year history of our company that marketing's had with, with the overall business. Um, we decided that we would, you know, make sure our first priority was always marketing for the overall company brand. Uh, for not any one business or business unit or geography or industry team that we'd always, you know, the hero of the, of the game was the company itself. And after that, we would then tackle things like geographies and uh, vertical and horizontal businesses and uh, different components within there. But having that architecture and some, some guiding lights really helped us march towards a new North Star. I'm so curious because I'd imagine, you know, with a company like HCL with with the sprawl, and I use that in a good way, but with the sprawl of products and industries and services that, that you're offering, I'd imagine, you know, there's just so many moving parts and so many plays that you'd be running from a marketing perspective that having that alignment is critical, um, you know, and, and you all uh, have and people could check out the website, um, this strategy, they're this mode one, two, three strategy, which I, I think is really interesting. Um, and so I'm curious, um, maybe you could talk about that a little bit and then what that means from a marketing perspective. How do you market this, this, um, this type of strategy? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so a, a couple of things, uh, it, it is a big sprawling company and uh, we have really built um, both homegrown and then some, you know, some smaller things acquired throughout time. Uh, but we have built and grown a, uh, a really big, strong global presence and industrial uh, technology organization that can serve uh, the most mission critical businesses around the world uh, that are very complex. And with that, um, even from a selling and marketing perspective, you can, you know, people will tend to, and this has happened throughout history in corporations, uh, tend to focus maybe on their one division or the one piece of the, the overall pie. And uh, the way I used to kind of describe it was HCL is like a 12 lane supermarket. And, you know, we let people down the first aisle, maybe the second aisle, but they don't get to see the other 10 aisles. And we've been hard at work from a marketing perspective, making sure that we can open up the full, you know, market to our customers. Not every customer is gonna to wanna to shop in each aisle uh, or do business with us in each aisle, but um, the options are there, the solutions and the capability to uh, meet even their unforeseen needs are there. Uh, and 
you know, that's the um, story and the narrative that we have um, brought to the marketplace. We set a strategy uh, in place that helped ground everything we do called mode one, two, and three. And, you know, I'll, I'll kind of give you my version of it. There's, uh, you know, we have a technology version of it. Um, but, you know, the way I kind of humanize this is that mode one for us is looking at the immediate horizon, looking at, you know, current operations. How do you become more agile, more lean, um, more industrial strength across your entire business? And how do you use technology to do that? Um, so we'll partner with companies to look at their strategy. Um, and clearly, you know, we, we always respect, we have great domain expertise in, in many industries, but we respect that clients always know the ins and outs of their business and their culture better than anybody. Um, what we do is marry up and partner with them very well to bring the technology aspect to bear and help them maximize that in their mission. Uh, mode two for us is really looking at what are the next gen, next horizon types of technologies um, that will help them not only modernize, but transform their business. And, you know, I haven't met a customer yet that, that doesn't want to be number one in their industry. So we try to really help them see the opportunities of how they can leapfrog the pack or the competition um, using the best, um, um, you know, newest technologies on the horizon and how to bring that into their business and scale it. And then mode three for us is, is really a construct where um, we get creative with customers. We, we can look at organic and inorganic uh, growth models together. Uh, we can look at how to um, industrialize intellectual property together, uh, whether it's assets, uh, whether it's pure IP, uh, whether it's software, whether it's products or platforms. And we can help them um, oftentimes create new businesses using their own inherent IP uh, and through technology, monetize that so that they can grow their own business. And that's served us very well. Um, you know, I will tell you that there, to me, there's also kind of uh, uh, around these three horizons or modes, um, there's always the underlying and underpinning aspects of uh, making sure a business is dynamic and secured. Um, so we'll spend a lot of time working with our clients to make sure that while they're focused on growth, you know, on the offense, that they're also protecting and securing the back end on the defensive side. And that's not just their, you know, their IP or their networks and their technology. It's how do they protect their brand, um, which ultimately um, can be the final destination if you have some type of, of uh, malicious um, you know, attack on your company. Um, and then every company, just like we do, has a, a vast ecosystem of stakeholders. It's not just employees and customers and partners, but, you know, it's government partners, it's local partners, it's, um, you know, things people do from a social responsibility or sustainability perspective. So how do you, and it's universities and it's future employees. So how do you bring all of those stakeholders into the equation to look at a business entity? Um, and again, our contribution is not only bringing those types of people together, which we're very good at doing. Um, and in particular in marketing, we're very good at seeing that. But then how do we use technology to, to sustain those relationships? You grew up in, in sales uh, at some you know, well-known companies, uh, IBM, Microsoft, Oracle. 
uh, HP and others. Um, and we've talked a little bit about sales transformation. And I think that part of the thing that can be frustrating for sales and why I kind of wanted to talk about the the uh, the mode one, two, three strategy is when marketing is out kicking the coverage, right? When you're when you're uh, marketing the next gen services, when those aren't in the product suite today, right? When when you're saying, hey, um, well, I mean, and, and I guess for, for you all, they are. But the idea that marketing is, you know, evangelizing this future state that your company is trying to do. But what the salespeople on the ground want is like, we need to sell the products that are currently on the SKUs, right? So I'm just curious, like, how do you how do you look at creating campaigns that are in the here and now, but also having some marketing campaigns that are more forward looking, kind of in line with that strategy? It's actually a little easier, uh, you know, than than kind of the, um, you know, the thought process or reflection of it, because technology in itself always tends to point to the future. Um, you know, whether you're selling it or you're buying it. Uh, but at the same time, you know, while you want to have future capability in the technology, the reality is you're, it has to work today, right? It has to be able to work today. So a lot of our, I think there's a great partnership between marketing and sales to, to have that blend of, you know, we've got to look at how we can implement and actually deliver this. And in our case, you know, um, we own a lot of assets. We sell a lot of assets, uh, you know, in the product and platform arena, but a, a large portion, the majority of our business is through 150,000 people um, providing technical services and consulting and, you know, managed services and the cloud and digital for customers. Um, you know, so it's a lot of heads and hearts and minds that come to bear and expertise for a client. So I think there's been a very good partnership worked out. Uh, from that perspective and, you know, helping us, uh, you know, ground what we can deliver today, but also show a client as to where this goes, you know, not only a quarter from now, two quarters from now, but, you know, um, 48 months out, 60 months out, whatever it might be. And I think we've struck that balance, um, you know, just through the working spirit of what we do. Well, and you know, you mentioned, I love the analogy of walking down the, uh, the supermarket aisles, because I feel like that's a great, it's a great analogy of how a company with a huge product suite can feel very siloed from a sales and marketing perspective and can be very confusing for the customer. Um, I'm curious, like, how do you look at that customer journey um, or that customer centric journey where you're plugging in sales in the right places and the value added ways and plugging in your marketing along that journey to help them make the decision where, you know, there's a lot of consultative selling, there's a lot of uh, products to be offered and you can't just kind of, uh, you know, you can't just, you know, throw all the, uh, throw all the food in the aisle at them. Although they'd probably take the toilet paper at this, at this current day and age because of uh because it's being shortages on on every on every shelf in america absolutely well, there's you know it's interesting and it's a great question there's actually in the journey a um you know it is both art and science and i get to see it from both uh, perspectives um you know and i'll start back from the sailing end um one of the things we put in place when i first joined uh we 
initiated a client partner program and I looked around the industry. I, I looked at, you know, everybody from McKinsey and Accenture to Deloitte and PwC and IBM. And I looked at their, and I grew up myself uh, as a consulting partner at IBM at one point in time, a lot of stops in my career, um, you know, in terms of getting experience and, and being a consulting partner, um, taught me about that angle of it and the structure and the responsibility and the, um, the opportunity that a partner can have for a client. And so as we created this program very specific to HCL's environment, uh, it serves our top 150 clients. Um, we have about 1,000 or so clients uh, that are very substantive. And um, the top 150, though, are really in a very special elite category in terms of the the size, the magnitude, the criticality, um, the number of, um, you know, investment, co-investment, things of that nature. And those client partners had to go on a very different um, learning journey than our, you know, typical account manager. Um, they typically live solely with that one client for many years at a time, uh, very large teams. And the responsibility is far more than just, you know, meeting the quarter expectations of, uh, selling a new project or winning a new deal. Um, it involves things like full-scale relationship development across a company, proper account planning, um, you know, really establishing strong points of view and helping them transform their business. And so, you know, when you kind of roll that up and start looking at it, how do we do that at an industry level? That's where our marketing teams get very heavily involved and work not only you know, at an industry level, for example, to, um, you know, develop our footprint in financial services or life sciences and healthcare, or, you know, there's about 12 industries that we cover very intensively around the world. We look at a combination of the overall industry and all of the ecosystem. And then we also look very specifically at all of those clients and look at how we can um, have some unity at the top, but also have a bespoke nature uh, with each of those large clients. And that has helped us, um, you know, significantly in understanding the overall journey and the relationship cycle. Because, you know, we think of client journeys in terms of how they buy, you know, how a sales cycle goes. The reality is that every client, especially in, in this type of complex world, has many different selling cycles going on. And even when they're not buying, you know, which is about 98% of the time, that 98% of the time is where the relationships, the depth of, um, you know, interaction, the trust, uh, the points of view get established. And marketing plays such a critical role, not only in, in supporting the account team or the client partner, but also, um, you know, really uh, creating a, a very, a broad and deep experience and kind of an experiential way of consuming and understanding what HCL brings to the marketplace. And, you know, I think we've built a very strong uh, team, both in the corporate marketing arena and our field and business unit marketing teams so that we understand how to create that ecosystem and, and that fabric that's long-term deep and trusting and very intellectually driven. Yeah, I always think about the fact that, you know, it's like, it's the kind of old adage, like, you don't close in February, like you close, or you don't close in, in December, you're closing in February, you're closing in March, you're closing every single, you know, 
every month, every week that goes by that, you know, the, that rep, um, is not helping their customer that makes that, that email that you send in, uh, in October to say, Hey, are we still good for a renewal in, in December? Uh, that much more difficult if you're not staying along the way and marketing is, is it, is a double-edged sword there, right? If you're con- if you're constantly top of mind, uh, for your customers, uh, with really, you know, helpful, relevant content and your reps aren't doing their job, like that's not great either. You're just reminding them how crappy their service is, is, is at that current moment in time. And so, you know, sales enablement is, is really, I mean, and we've seen, I think it was at, um, serious decisions this last year that I think sales enablement was kind of like, is more of, I forget the exact thing, but basically sales enablement, you know, being a, a, a true marketing function and figuring out how that's a marketing function um, is is one of the things that is like a best practice these days and really kind of aligning those two things. Um, but I always, I always think back to like, you know, how much work the marketers are putting into creating content and doing these things. And if they're not putting that stuff in the hands of the reps to share those timely relevant things to have them be that trusted advisor and expert, then, you know, then why are, why are we going to spend so much time if, if, you know, that last mile isn't going to get achieved? Ian, you're so right. And, you know, what's interesting is, you know, today, and we look across, um, we do extensive analysis on, you know, who are our buyers and who are the stakeholders and influencers. And, you know, the reality is, is um, there is no single solo decision uh, today. I mean, a lot yeah, of that totally. started back, you know, with um, uh, Sarbanes-Oxley, you know, a decade and a half ago. Uh, but the reality is, is that you have multiple departments, multiple leaders. Um, you have, um, you know, there's a there's a voice of the user um, that's very important. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of examples where, you know, a C-level executive's made a decision, but uh, his or her constituency has completely rejected a decision. Um, you know, through maybe a passive aggressive or, you know, silent protest. So, you know, for us, it's uh, important to get to know um, whether it's our current customer or prospect to get to know all the different elements and culture and people involved in this process. Um, And so marketing gives us a great, um, you know, foundation to be able to bring, not only identify those people, but to nurture them along the journey. And to, to nurture them beyond just a single journey, but towards multiple journeys and towards a long-term basis. And, you know, there are so many both traditional and digital means we use today to do that. Um, you know, some of it tool-based, some of it event-based, um, some of it very account-specific or industry-specific or through influencers and advisors and analysts. Uh, but there are many approaches. And... Um, you know, I think we've gotten um, fairly sophisticated and agile at understanding how to do that, um, you know, and, and build at the end of the day, what you build is a very strong, trusting, uh, intellectual uh, community. And I like to, to take community farther and say ecosystem um, with our you know, customers and, um, and all of their stakeholders. Do you have any favorite campaigns that you've done uh, over the past couple of years? There are several, but I'll tell you, um, I think there are a couple uh, that I'll just point out too. One is what we call global to local. 
And that was um, really something that we started um, in the U.S. marketplace, and then we expanded to multiple marketplaces. But the theory behind it was bringing the best of our overall 1HCL global footprint to bear, but then really accentuating a very specific market. And, you know, in the case of the U.S., for example, um, we were about to celebrate our 30th anniversary of being in the United States market. You know, we started in 1988 in Silicon Valley, um, even before Silicon Valley was called that. And, you know, we were one of the original hardcore companies uh, partnered with many of the stars that people know Silicon Valley uh, for. And, you know, we're really a bedrock there. Uh, but across the United States, we have, um, you know, from, um, you know, kind of the high tech corridor in Boston to the Midwest, all the way out to the West Coast, we have a very strong and significant history and blueprint. So there were a couple of things. We, we wanted to use global to local to, first of all, celebrate internally, you know, this historic landmark and birthday. Of, uh, of our strength in the United States. Uh, but we quickly, quickly realized our customers wanted to be involved and they wanted to, um, you know, use some of the tenants and translate our own program into their um, both global and local footprints. And, and what we realized was we could bring some best practices on a global basis together with very localized cultural elements. And share both internally and externally, um, you know, between uh, all these different uh, unique things that happen on a global or a local basis. And so we ended up, you know, for example, um, you know, creating lots of um, video testimonials of both employees as well as customers in the U.S. market. And then we found that people from all of our other countries said, hey, give us access. We want to see, I want to know what my colleague or my counterpart is doing differently, you know, in Dallas or in Los Angeles or in Chicago than, than what I'm doing here in Singapore or I'm doing in Stockholm. And people love that. They wanted to understand and learn more about their peers. And then we brought this to other markets and other areas, you know, um, to Australia, New Zealand, um, to the Nordics, you know, and we did a very special one for Sweden. Uh, we did this in France, and we're continuing to do this around the world now. Um, and it's been a very strong and beneficial campaign. And, you know, even government um, officials and ambassadors have gotten along, you know, gotten involved um, in these campaigns. So that's been really successful, and it's kind of brought humans and technology together. Um, the second thing I'll mention is, um, we have always been a very strong strategic partner at the World Economic Forum. But in the last two years, we took it to a different level. Um, we hosted uh, probably the largest uh, pavilion at the World Economic Forum in Davos, you know, a real high-tech pavilion um, that served as both a technology lab and innovation uh, demonstration center, but also um, a platform um, both in person and digital for leading CEOs and, and world leaders to come together to debate um, societal issues and to look at how we can use technology to help solve those societal issues. And so while the benefit clearly 
you know, is within that week of being in Davos and, you know, having that social media and, and press and personal interaction and, and great attention around certain issues, we're actually able to take a lot of that content and the relationships and throughout the year continue to talk about things like sustainability um, or, you know, financial equality or um, other aspects of the environment or the workforce or automation and what's happening to jobs from, you know, from that perspective. So it's been a, um, you know, those two campaigns really stand out. I mean, there's so many others that our team have done and that I'm extremely proud of, uh, but those really had tremendous global stature and brand impact and not in a way to go out and, and make claims or beat our chest in a way that was not uh, appropriate, but really to, to add a substantive contribution to some very significant world challenges that people were working hard to solve. One of the things that you have talked about and, and advocated for um, is, you know, women in the workplace, particularly advancement in, um, in the gap in, in technology. Um, you know, this is something obviously Silicon Valley has been focused on since there's just between the pay gap and, and just gender gap and hiring. Um, I'm curious, like, what are the things that, that you all have worked on um, and why is this something that you feel like, uh, you know, you can carry the torch on a little bit? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, first of all, um, I'm very passionate around this. The, the why is real clear. I mean, for any entity in any business to be successful, um, you know, it, it, it's just been proven time and time again. Um, uh, the best outcomes, the best um that you can do in this world is to have diversity of backgrounds and thoughts and, um, you know, a wide range of skills. Um, so that's, that's both uh, gender diversity. Um, but it's also, um, you know, racial diversity, other types of diversity that are very important to have in the workplace. And I will tell you that the tech industry overall, right. The, and I'm talking about the, the, all up $5 trillion of the $82 trillion uh, global GDP. Um, you know, hardware, software, services, everything in between. The industry itself is, is probably one of the least diverse industries of any, um, which is really, it's one of those things that makes you scratch your head because the greatest opportunities uh, to build society in the future, to solve a lot of problems, um, to help the world scale in different ways is through technology. And, you know, so it's important for all leaders today to uh, look at how do we solve that? How do we make the workforce not only more palatable today um, and more proper today, but then how do we bring in new generations of people uh, of all types of backgrounds that can continue to contribute and even make it better than than our generation of leaders has done. I'm really honored that um, our CEO, day one from he and I working together, he took it very seriously. And, and not just in words, you know, we backed it up in a lot of ways. Um, uh, we've made it part uh, hardwired in the system, um, you know, in terms of um, making sure that processes were very transparent and open, um, that 
you know, levels of equality were reached. And we've made a significant march towards that. We're not where we totally want to be, but we've, our improvement over the last probably three or four years, um, you know, in several different diversity categories has probably been faster and better than, than most uh, companies in technology. And it pays off for us. It pays off in innovation. It pays off in uh, ideas. It pays off in um, really the, the whole viewpoint of bringing humans and technology together. And so it's something that we're going to be very passionate in and, and continue to stay uh, critically focused on. I will also tell you that, um, you know, now, for example, wherever I go in the world, these days, not very far, it's all by video, but a major part of the discussion that I have, no matter what country, what city, what customer, what town hall, um, there's always a component of a, an additional uh, time set aside for all uh, people invited to the table to talk about uh, our culture, our diversity, um, and how we, you know, build on the good and improve on areas where they need improvement. With everything going on in the world right now, um, with you know COVID, um, it's a it's a tough time to market. It's a tough time uh, just for everyone. Um, you know, a lot of tragedy, but you know, life goes on, and and you know, it's important for leaders to figure out how to, you know, keep things going during time of a crisis. So I'm curious, like, how, how do you lead during a time of a crisis? What are some of the things that, that you're doing? You know, I'll tell you, it's interesting. Um, I've thought about this a lot. And there's certainly lots of points of view out, um, whether in social media or on, on TV these days. And um, I can't tell you how many, you know, hundreds of emails with, you know, new leadership webinars sprout up every day. But you know, I think back to um, my own experience, you know, somewhere around January 4th, I remember sending my first email uh, to my leadership team to say, look, we need to not only pay attention to this, I want travel to stop to this area, this, to this region. Uh, this is probably going to spread. We're all international travelers. I think sometimes people, you know, miss the fact that, um, you know, all the key airports in the world, the connections it's so easy to see how, uh, whether this virus started in one country or not, you know, wherever it started, we know where it started, but it can spread very easily in airports uh, and be transported. And it was only a matter of time that this was going to become a global situation. So we started thinking immediately about um, how we shift some of our own priorities um, away from, you know, probably with a limit of not being able to be in person, not only together, but with our clients and with other members of our ecosystem and how we would really um, drive our business towards a combination of, of digital um, experiences, uh, content experiences, how and where we'd focus on our brand um, and strengthening it during this period of time. Uh, we had to think, start thinking about the tonality of all of our external messaging and our and not only external, but internal. Um, this is a period of time where um, I think empathy and compassion are probably number one for any leader. Um, you know, it's not about making the quarter right now and, uh, you know, being tough on performance and things of that nature. Those are always going to be part of a, a management you know, recipe, but this is a period of time that nobody 
has ever, despite all the training and life experiences, nobody's ever had this, this one kind of um, configuration of events happen. And it's so new and different um, that we have to make sure we bring along not only the, the strongest people, uh, but those that are most vulnerable within our own companies, within our own neighborhoods. And so we've put a lot of emphasis there. Um, it has been a 24 by seven um, situation since January. We actually formed a, an executive crisis team um, around the 26th of January. Um, and that executive crisis team, all businesses, uh, frontline leaders, enabling functions, um, you know, sometimes eight, 10 hours a day in different sessions. Um, and it's everything from logistics, internal issues, external issues, uh, financial issues, uh, but ultimately, how do we steer the enterprise and also help our customers? And I think that's paid off and brought us closer together as a leadership team. Um, you know, it's interesting. Even I think back to my own experience, you know, I travel upwards of a million miles a year. And all the people I see on a normal basis, um, you know, you know, give you another analogy. I, I made um, diamond status the first week of uh, February on one, on one airline just from my travel in January. So with all of that, I've actually grown closer and probably seen and understood more about some of my own peer leaders and my own team and teammates through video and through this period of time. And I think everybody kind of has that, that, um, you know, it's, it's not just the intellectual attachment to the business. It's also the emotional attachment to all, you know, striving and um, defining what's next for ourselves. That's been prevalent. Let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like marketing with Salesforce, you can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing on the world's number one CRM. That is Salesforce, salesforce.com slash marketing. Lightning round questions. Arthur, are you ready? I am ready. Number one, what app on your phone is the most fun? Uh, my Fitbit app. Keep me active. I have uh, pretty high goals uh, trying to, you know, and I've been able to uh, keep up with 15,000 plus steps a day and I'm going to keep pushing it. What about your favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? So listening to a number of different podcasts, um, you know, actually I will tell you, I, I've enjoyed, believe it or not, this is kind of dry and boring, but the BBC um, has been, I think, very uh, balanced and very uh, smart about bringing a global perspective together on all the events of the day. Uh, sometimes if you get caught up in local news, especially in the United States, it becomes a little too political. Um, so it's, it's, been a, it's been great to see what's going on in other corners of the world. Um, you know, from a book perspective, I just started reading a book by Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Himself. And I'm, I'm just in the early chapters, but I'm excited to dig into this. It's, uh, it's not, it, it's a somber topic. Um, you know, somebody that uh, is a Holocaust survivor and his ability to um, 
focus his mind on surviving and thriving and getting to another day. And uh, it's uh, kind of an interesting read. So, uh, but, you know, certainly a lot to, to read and think about these days. What is your best advice for a first-time CMO? Um, listen. Listen to as many people as you can and try to understand the heartbeat and the pulse above all else. Um, and that starts with your team uh, because, um, you know, at the end of the day, you are an enabler of future stars and you've got to create platforms for them to succeed and shine. Um, so understand their pulse and understand their capabilities and, and uh, help them get the best, uh, not only performance, but, you know, help them become the best version of themselves in this process. And a lot will take over from there. Why didn't you go into the CIA? <laughs> well, it was interesting. So, um, you know, long story short, um, my father uh, came from Poland. Uh, when he came to the United States in the 1960s, he was actually labeled as a defector um, because he was expected to return and, and uh, you know, serve in the communist regime as a doctor. And he chose to stay in the United States. He was never allowed to go back um, to the country. But when I grew up, I was allowed to go visit my grandparents. And I learned the language of, of uh, Polish and a little bit of Russian at a very young age. Uh, read, write, you know, interpret. And so I was actually approached on campus uh, to be a translator, um, you know, in a field office and went through the, um, you know, the, the mental tests. And I actually went through physical tests and was very close to an offer. Uh, my own mother uh, came to visit me and, and persuade me very emphatically uh, that that was not a career path she was interested in seeing her <laughs> son go into. So I listened to my mom. <laughs> I love it. Well, awesome. That's that's it, Arthur. That's all we got for today. Any uh, any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Well, I'll tell you what. Um, you know, first of all, uh, I do hope that uh, people get to uh, become familiar with HCL and you know come visit us. Um, you know, either through our website, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, you'll see not only technology but the human side of of what we try to do in the marketplace. And the second thing I just want to say is I really appreciate you doing this. Um, this is, uh, you know, for so many people, it's we're all working in our homes. Um, you know, whether somebody's alone or they have a big family around them, there's all kinds of things people are getting adjusted to. Uh, no doubt uh, it's not easy to maintain composure uh, and it's not easy to, you know, operate on a daily basis. You know, you wonder uh, Mondays and Saturdays now, there's no, not much partition between understanding what day is what. And I think people are learning to operate in an environment where we don't know the total dates or outcome or, or next chapter, you know, when is it going to start for sure and how will it start? Um, so, you know, voices like yours and, and bringing these conversations to bear uh, are a great service to everybody right now. And I really appreciate that. Thanks, Arthur. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're... Um... We're happy to serve uh, the listeners, the great Marketing Trends listeners. As always, hit us up, team at marketingtrends.com. If you have any questions or want to recommend a guest or ask questions to previous guests or anything like that. So, uh, Arthur, thanks again. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Ian. Take care. Take care. 
Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, The messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.